Waiting to podcast. Seth is taking to. Can you shut up so I can finish typing this out, maybe? <laughs> Sorry. It's not good. Welcome, my lords, to the Well-Earned Comforts Podcast. I'm Sam. And I'm Seth. Thank you for joining us on the Walls of Isengard as we explore the many works of Tolkien and discuss life. We're glad to have you as part of our fellowship, as there's no telling where we'll be swept off to. Just like always, we're going to jump into babbling like Butterbur. I'm going to check in with my brother, Seth. How's it going? It's been a little while. What's new? Yeah, it's it's been quite a little while. We haven't been able to connect and schedule one of these um honestly been pretty under the weather for about two weeks now which is really frustrating just staying up you know waking up multiple times throughout the night to hack junk up and not being able to sleep well and then still trying to go to work and it's been pretty big pain in the butt um as mom and dad would call it the crud yeah yeah is what it seems to be at this point so uh, I'm hoping to be on the upswing of that, but if, if you hear my voice cracking a little bit or whatever, that's why. Um, I'll try to mute out if I have to cough, though. So <laughs> We'd appreciate that. Yeah. Other than that, though, bud, I mean, Amanda's doing well. She's very, very ready to not be pregnant anymore. Um, she's yeah. very ready to meet our little, our little girl, as am I. So we're kind of just counting down the days, um, I guess. Yeah, how many days are left? Wow, I shouldn't say counting down the days precisely because I don't well, know the sure, exact sure. days. <laughs> but like um, the due date, it's yeah, roughly a two weeks. Roughly, roughly two weeks. Um, yeah. So not not very far out. Uh, her OB actually said that the head is engaged and um, cervix is starting to be effaced, which means it's starting to narrow so that it can wow. dilate. And so they're basically like, "Yep, water could break at any time." It's you know at this point pay attention because it could happen so be ready so that means you know could be right now or it could be three weeks from now so well I'll keep, a look out, uh, I'll keep a look out behind you just in case i see someone waddling in behind you you got your headphones on you can't hear her screaming so i'll let you know if i see anything i, I appreciate that i'm sure she would make herself well well known <laughs> fair enough fair enough how about you bud I'm doing good i'm actually you know i saw you had a story in the doc did you want to share that um under your uh, under your little uh, portion of Butterbur sharing? Uh, what? Yeah, just at the beginning of the doc. You know, right? right. Uh, you just you just typed in a little story there that I, I thought, you know, it'd be interesting to share with everybody. You're some sort of jokester, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I definitely did not type this. I mean, if, if you want me to read it, what you have written. I don't sure. know what you're talking about. This is just your story. So uh, I guess Sam has written in here, funny story, since going to the local gym, I have really been enjoying doing heavy squats. Feels kind of like the old Greeks and Romans at the first Olympics. Anyways, I, Sam, was going for a heavy single when I pooped my pants. But since I didn't have any pants on, which I'm questioning why you didn't in the first place at your local gym. Wow, um, you were You pooped this. all over the floor, so. <laughs> you, you ruined it. You were supposed to say what was in the dock. 
That's our deal that, here. That you wrote? <laughs> yes, you're supposed to say anything that I write and put in there, but that's fine. I <laughs> I joked sure. about I'll try, you having a home gym, and that's why you would work out not wearing pants because you know you gotta like get in touch with your old Olympic roots. You know the Greeks and the Romans back in the day they would have done this stuff without clothes on. So you know I thought that's yeah. Uh, yeah, that's I mean, I'd you be lying if do. I said I hadn't done that yet, but <laughs> the crapping all over the floor part definitely has not happened. All right, yeah, well, moving on to uh, my babbling like Butterbur. Uh, Ariel and I are doing well. We are exhausted. We had a week at the beach with our high schoolers for beach week, and there was some really, really awesome moments, and there was some really, really tough moments, some hard conversations with students, and... Uh, just moments where you just look at them like, are you are you kidding me right now? Like this is what you're doing right now at church camp. <laughs> but yeah. uh, there was, I think, I think there was some really cool redemption there, and and it was it was very obvious that you know, the Holy Spirit was active and Jesus was there with us, and and it was really cool to do that with Ariel. We're going to be baptizing a couple of her students from her small group here in a couple nice. weeks, which is super exciting. Yeah, it's it's amazing. I mean, that's why you do it, you know, regardless of any struggles that might have happened throughout the the week you know that one or two baptisms that's totally worth it so that'll be that'll be really good but like i mentioned i'm heading off to middle school camp tomorrow so yeah not much we had about a now. yeah about a five day break before we jump back into another another camp so this one should be i mean i don't know it should be should be fun i won't have ariel with me this time around so i'll be sad and i'll be missing her um but yeah, overall, life's life's been good. I'm missing home. I'm missing home a lot lately. Like I'm missing mom and dad and Steven and Sarah and David and, and the kids too. Like I don't know. I just saw a video of of uh, Will Killian crawling for yeah. I don't know maybe the first time. I don't know, but it just like <laughs> made me sad because it's like I I'm not there. And you know I was like, dang, I wish I could have seen that. I wish I could have like cheered him on, congratulated him. So. I don't know, I'm I'm missing home, but other than that, we're doing we're doing pretty good. I I get you there. It's it's hard being this far away from everybody, especially with you know the the niece and nephew growing up, and you know you miss those big moments and yeah. You know the Avs are about to play in the Stanley Cup and be right, able to yeah. Go around the TV with you and Dad and Stephen if he wants to, and you know like kind of the old days growing up watching sports, cheering on our home team and. Playing mini hockey and in between yeah, periods, all that you know, all that fun stuff that we used to do growing up. It just you know you don't get to do that now, which yeah, you know, it it is a bit of a bummer. It's hard, but yeah, sacrifices you have to make, I suppose. Yeah, no, I wouldn't change anything. I mean, we we love it here in Kentucky, and it's good. And but yeah, it's just one of those times you you think about, huh? Wow, it's it's hard being being so far away. But yeah, I'm with you, buddy. Yeah, well, on to better and brighter things. Our next segment, Riddles in the Dark, which, again, from last podcast, Seth and I decided we would switch this up rather than just telling corny dad jokes to each other. Uh, we're just going to go through and flip through our three-in-one Lord of the Rings book and find a few sentences of dialogue and see if the other person can guess what book it's from, who's saying it, and what the context is. So... I'll go ahead and go first this time, uh, switch it up a little bit. So I'm going to flip through my pages here. All right, trying to find some dialogue. You know, it's amazing. Tolkien can go two whole pages without a single bit of dialogue. <laughs> I'm going to skip to this. Yes, part. he can. And it was probably all a description of one tree. <laughs> Not exactly, but... 
Oh man, this is so obvious, but I guess I got to do it since I a different one then. Again, when you preface it by saying it's so obvious, it just puts <laughs> me in a lose-lose situation here. I know, I know. All right, well, for sake of time, I'll just I'll just jump in with this one. Now come, you filth. You've hurt my master, you brute, and you'll pay for it. We're going on, but we'll settle with you first. Come on and taste it again. Well, I know that's Sam. Okay. I'm Correct. like 98% sure that he's speaking to Shelob at this point. Trying to coax on Shelob. Yes, you um, are correct again. Yeah, it's got to be. I was trying to think, was it at the top of the tower, potentially? But no, it's got to be Shelob, especially with the Kamir you filth, because that, that's a line that they even put in the movie. Yeah, so. yeah. So which book is it? Book six. Is it? Yeah. Is it? Yeah, it's... Oh, shoot, no, because it's... <laughs> that is... Is that at the end? Yeah, in the books, it's at the end of book four for yep. the, the two towers yeah okay you are correct okay. well played yeah. well played so at least i got you well on that played. one yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> i just didn't think it through for a second the movies and books are a little desynchronized if you will yeah i can throw you for a loop a little bit all right what all do you right. have for me all right let me see let me see let me see let me see there's actually one that i wish i had um because i absolutely love the dialogue but i don't know where it is and i don't want to try to find it so let's see uh, fair enough. Uh, yeah, this one's super easy, but it's actually a really good one. And you'll know this because we used to play Lord of the Ring cards. <laughs> oh, perfect. All right, you ready? I'm ready. Hit me. All right, here we go. Your small fire, of course, could not even melt ordinary gold. This ring has already passed through it unscathed and unheated. But there is no smiths forged in this shire that could change it at all. Not even the anvils and the furnaces of the dwarves could do that. Yeah, that's pretty obvious. That's uh, Fellowship of the Ring when Gandalf is telling Frodo about the ring and he's like, throws it into the fire and then Frodo's like, whoa, why'd you do that? He's like, oh, you're already uh, that attached to it, aren't you? Well, I want to see if it's got the markings. Well done. Yeah, that was a pretty obvious one. I had a better one that I messed up, uh... (laughs) but that's all right. Uh, that's all right. Well, well, let's done. go next well time. Well There's that's a nice infinite... easy one. That's a nice easy one for somebody who doesn't know the books too well to even be able to yeah. guess, right? Yeah, definitely, definitely. <laughs> okay, well, let's jump into the meat and potatoes. So, last podcast we left off with Baron accepting Thingol's request to get him a Silmaril from the Crown of Morgoth in his Iron Fortress of Angband. So we're going to jump into kind of the beginning of his quest and the the ups and downs. And we're going to have to make this a third. There's going to have to be a third podcast because there's just so much Seth and I wanted to talk about yeah, for this one. There, so might, there might even need to be a fourth at this point. There know, could be. Too. Yeah, this you're story absolutely right. has a lot of ins and outs to it. So many good things to this story. And then so many things that you can kind of tie back to Lord of the Rings. So many things that are kind of important to know moving, moving forward for the stories. But uh, I'll just jump in right where we left off. So... Baron accepts this challenge, and he heads he heads out of Doriath, the, the kingdom of Thingol. And he goes to the woods of Nargothrond. And as he's walking through this, he knows that this land is inhabited by elves. And these elves are, are kind of, they're huntsmen. They're very, very clever. They're very sneaky, stealthy. And he's walking through the woods, and he feels this, he, he feels like he's being watched. You know, you've ever, like, walked through the woods at night, and you just feel like you have eyes on you, or you're walking down a, a dark alleyway, and you feel like somebody's just watching you. That's kind of how he's feeling. And so he's uh, thinking proactively here. He's like, 
I don't, I don't want to get shot in the dark, so I'm going to hold up this ring that I got from my dad, the ring of Barahir, the ring from Felagond, and he holds it up and he shouts, I am Baron, son of Barahir, friend of Felagond. Take me to the king. He shouts this a couple times as he's walking through, and then finally, the elves who were watching him the whole time, just like he felt, they sprung on him, they jumped on him and waylaid him, but when they saw the ring, they actually bowed in front of him and uh, took him through the night to their hidden gates. They kind of did it very stealthily and made sure that he really didn't know how to get there, as elves normally do throughout kind of Tolkien's, Tolkien's writings. It's interesting how he always holds it up and is shouting that out, even like the elves hadn't even made their presence known yet. Yeah. Um, they just knew they, he knew that they were there watching him. It's almost, it's all, it kind of reminds me of that scene in the fellowship where they first go into Lothlorien mm-hmm. and obviously the movies are a little bit different, um, but Haldir springs upon Gimli and he's like, the dwarf breathes so loudly we could have shot him in the dark. And <laughs> Gimli has no idea they're even there. I mean, it's the same, yep. same type of thing, just a different setting. Yeah, absolutely. So the elves do take him to the king, King Finrod Felagond, who uh, Baron's dad actually helped save in the Battle of Sudden Flame. And so Finrod actually recognizes Baron without even, you know, the, the ring of his father. He, he already knew who this guy was, and he knew of the deeds that Baron had already done. So he actually takes him to a, a private place to talk, because he's like, I, I have a feeling you're on some kind of quest here. I want to know what's going on. So Baron tells him kind of everything that just happened with Thingol and what was going on with Luthien. And even just at the thought of Luthien, uh, Baron just begins to weep. Like, that's how much he loves this woman, which is, it's amazing. Like, like he's talking to this guy, you know, this kingly lord, and he breaks down crying because he just remembers how amazing his love is. And uh, so he starts weeping as he talks about it. But he finishes the tale, and Finrod realizes that this quest is not even going to claim Baron's life, but it will also reignite the Oath of Feanor. So if you remember the Oath of Feanor from our Silmarils episode, uh, pretty much Feanor and his sons swore that nobody could touch the Silmarils except for them, be friend or foe, evil or good, didn't matter. They were going to pretty much waylay or destroy anyone or anything that would try to take the Silmarils away from them. But funny enough, they aren't contesting Morgoth at this point. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? Um, they have a plan. We'll, we'll get to that here in a little bit. But they're just kind of letting Morgoth hold on to the Silmarils. But if anyone else wants to touch them, they, they get mad, as we'll see here in a second. But obviously, this was a crazy oath that they had taken. And Finrod realizes, well, crap. Bar- Baron's on this quest to get the Silmarils. And I have two sons of Feanor. Kelegorm and Kurifin staying with me. <laughs> and he says, you know, these guys have been super nice to me. They've actually helped me in a lot of ways. Pretty much any way I've asked them to help, they've helped me. Uh, but once they hear of your quest, they're probably going to try to either kill you or, like, keep you from doing this. And so he was like, you know, this is good that I found Baron, but also I've got these two guys staying with me that probably are going to cause a lot of trouble. Yeah, yeah. And this, I mean, this kind of brings you back to the last episode that we did and talking about uh, Melian, how she leaned over to Thingol and basically said, "Like you have now entrapped yourself in things that are much bigger than they seem, yeah, um, and oaths that aren't even of this world, uh, and the doom of Mandos and all of that." She was saying that to to Thingol, and it's interesting because Fenrod recognizes this immediately. Kind of just yep. with yep. what you're saying, he's like, "Yeah, if 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 you go ahead and try this, you know." You're wrapping all of us up in this oath that Feanor and his sons had had sworn. So at this point, Fenrod is 
Fenrod Feligund, we might use that interchangeably. His name's yeah. Feligund, his name's Fenrod, Fenrod Feligund, either way. Um, yeah. He knows that he can't break his own oath to bear here, Baron's father. He basically swore that he would help him in anything he needed or whatever the case may be, he would help uh, bear here and by proxy, Baron. And so King fin- Fenrod at this point basically says, you know, I know that how this is going to turn out, but I need to be a man of my word and uphold my own oath, regardless of it, whatever else is going to happen. So he actually goes in front of all his people in Nargothrond and he starts and he introduces Baron, says who he is, why this oath is important. Um, he tells the people of all the things that Baron did, you know, fighting against Morgoth and all that. And basically right on cue, just like Sam was saying, uh-huh. uh, Kelligorm st- stood up, he drew his sword, pointed it at Baron, and started to recite the oath of Feanor, um, which he and the rest of his his brothers and his father had sworn. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, that's a, that's a pretty pointed threat. And then Karufin, Kelligorm's brother, he stood up and basically sweet-talked everybody um, in a way that made them lose faith in Fenrod Feligund, almost like a Jedi mind trick, if you will. Um, he painted a picture of war and the ruin of Nargothrond, and everybody who listened to that, the way he spoke was just so powerful, kind of like, you know, I'm sure he got a little bit of that from his father, Feanor. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, everybody who heard that just was stricken with fear and they were, they didn't want Fenrod to go do this because they, of what the brothers had said. And it was basically at this point, the Felagund was like, all right, well, I no longer have authority over my people. I can tell that their, like their allegiances have fallen off of, of, you know, me and my kingdom uh, personally. And so he basically told him, look, you can all break your own oaths however you want, but I can't break mine. I need to go with him. Yep. I'm going with Baron. And he said, as I hold strong to my oath, I hope that some of you will hold strong to your oaths to me and go with us on this journey. And out of all the elves of Nargothrond, there are only 10 of them that stood up to follow Fenrod. Crazy. Um, so yeah, as it turns out, there's only 12 of a, 12 people total trying to go out and get this Silmaril from the iron crown of Morgoth, which, you know, really doesn't, sound like it has too good of odds no not at all um so it was at this point where uh fenrod actually instead of just relinquishing his crown which he was about to do he was about he basically just set it down and one of his friends i forget the elf's name but somebody was like why don't you instead of just relinquishing your crown why don't you give it to a steward um, it was edrahill right it might have been it might have been but either way uh he he was going to just set the crown down and relinquish it. Cause he realized that he had lost the faith of his, of his kingdom. Um, and his friend said, no, appoint a steward so that upon your return, you can put your crown back on. So he picks his brother Oradreth um, to be uh, the steward of Nargothrond as, as he goes with Baron on this, on this journey. And at this point, the sons of Feanor, Kelligorm and Karufin just kind of, I kind of imagine it in a pretentious way. They kind of just smile and walk off like, yep, we, what we did, you know, we did what we, in, we, we set out to do and what we intended to, and we'll see how it plays out. Yeah. Those jerks. Yeah. They, they're just stirring the pot. It's that darn oath that, that they swore just always messing stuff up. But at this point they're like, all right, well, here we go. So 
Fenrod and Baron, and then the ten loyal elves. They set out to to fulfill this quest, and they came across a pack of orcs, and they slayed them pretty easily, and they took all their gear. And it's interesting because Fenrod, um, Felagund, actually uses elf magic to distort them and make them look like the orcs that they had killed. So they took their gear, they dressed up, and then he uses elf magic, which is interesting to me because you see it appear, especially in this story, a lot. Yeah, um, yeah. But you see it appear from time to time, and Tolkien never really explains it. It's not very well fleshed out. There's not a specific music or a magic system like in Harry Potter or... Right. Um, you know, like the uh, Aragon series, there's just magic that randomly appears and you don't really understand it. Hmm. But he has these these powers and he basically disguises them in the, the raiment of the orcs so that they can go past uh, where Sauron's hiding out and try to get through that as they head north up towards Angband. Um, so they ventured between the Arid Wethren and the highlands of Tar Nifuin. Um, and that's where the, the Tower of Tall and Gowroth, where Sauron is, uh, and he basically uh, figures him out. Yeah, he wasn't he wasn't convinced by the disguise. I think it's funny that like Tolkien even put that in there because like right from the get go, Sauron's like, Yeah, I don't think you guys are actually orcs. And so he he approaches them and this is kind of the big epic battle we see between Finrod Felgond and Sauron. Uh, Tolkien says that this battle was renowned, but it's interesting because they fought in song. Like there's just so many different ways of fighting that Tolkien brings up even just within like the, this this page. Like there's or this chapter, there's so many different types of fighting, but I think it's so interesting they're like kind of fighting with magical song. So I kind of think of it like a wizard's duel uh but through song. Uh, I mean, Sauron's song was full of like treachery and betrayal, whereas Fenrod contested with a song of like resisting and trust unbroken, strength like a tower of freedom, stuff like that. I'll just kind of read an excerpt from from the songs. This is Sauron. He chanted a song of wizardry, of piercing, opening, of treachery, revealing and uncovering and betraying. Then sudden, Felagon there swaying, sang in answer a song of staying, resisting, battling against the power of secrets kept, strength like a tower, trust unbroken, freedom, escape. So backwards and forwards, their song swayed, and Tolkien mentioned that Fenrod seemed to be kind of winning. Like, he kind of seems to be overpowering Sauron, which we see, like, time and time again with these big battles, whether it be Morgoth or Sauron. Like, you think, maybe the good guy's about to win, but then Sauron just, just digs deep into his evil, evil magic, and he ends up... He ends up winning. He conjures up a terrible evil song of full of darkness and defeats uh, Fenrod Felagond. And so he strips the company of their orcish disguise that Fenrod had put on, and he actually strips off all their all their raiment, so all their clothing and stuff, and they Tolkien says they were naked and afraid. So, you know, even reality TV show <laughs> is uh, even reality TV show is based off of or inspired by Tolkien's work, which I thought kind of funny. That's totally not true, but uh, they uh, were naked and we'll afraid. We'll say it is. We'll say it yeah, is. They were naked yeah. and afraid in the pits of Sauron, right? That's right. That'd be a right. heck of a naked and afraid episode. Oh, man. I, I don't know if I'd watch that. We might get to see it, I guess, with the... No, we wouldn't probably get to see uh, it with the show. Uh, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, so Sauron, like, even though he could find out, like, what race they were, he's like, okay, I've got some elves here and I've got a man, but he couldn't figure out their name or their purpose, and so he cast them into a really deep, dark pit in one of his towers and he threatened to c- kill them cruelly as he did uh gorlim um one of mm-hmm. barahir's 
companions a while back um, if they didn't betray their fellow companions. So he's he's threatening to just do horrible things to them if they don't betray one another to try to figure out what their quest is. Yeah, so like Sam was saying, they get... So there's 12 people, right? You know, you've got Finrod Felagund, you've got Baron, and then the 10 elves, the 10 loyal elves that were with them. And they're in this pit of just dark. It's just pitch black in there. And Tolkien says, after a while, they would see two eyes gleaming in the dark, and one of their companions would be devoured by a werewolf. But not I mean, that's one just of terrifying. Them, yeah, but not one of them betrayed Fenrod or Baron. So, I mean... You've been camping, Sam. I've been camping. Every mm-hmm. now and then, it, when it's pitch black, all the only light you have is the moon and the stars. And this is even darker than that. But you can see whatever little light there is reflecting off of eyes, you know, in yeah. the woods. And it can be it can be kind of a terrifying thing. I mean, we went on night hikes all the time back in Colorado, or not all the time, but we did. We, yeah, and a we few would times. Wear, you'd wear headlamps, you know. And every now and then, you'd be scav- you know, scouring across the trail. And your headlamp would just reflect a pair of eyes. Is it a yeah. deer? Is it a mountain lion? Is it a bear? Like you just have no idea. Sure. Um, the flip side of that is in this story, they know what it is and it's a mm-hmm. werewolf. And one by one, this werewolf is just coming and devouring. So I, in my head, I picture just eating the entire body of one of these elves. Yeah. And so one by one, each of uh, Fenrod and Baron's companions are are devoured. And Sauron knew he couldn't. He didn't know what Fenrod was. He he didn't know. I should say he didn't know who he was exactly. Yeah. But he yeah. could tell that he was of the Noldor. He was of one of the eldest races of elves. He had. He was a, an elf of power. So he was going to leave him to the very very last. And so finally, it came down to just being Baron and Fenrod at this point. And one wolf was sent to get rid of Baron because, like I said, he was saving Fenrod for the last. And as this wolf was about to go after Baron, Fenrod summoned all of, I don't know if he used elf magic or just was summoning whatever strength he had left in him, kind of like a Samson moment you, yeah, you think of. Yeah, where that's, he a good, just, he, that's a good point. Yeah, he rips out of his chains from the wall. He fights this wolf, and the way he... Um, it's described as he burst his bonds and then wrestled the werewolf and slew it with his hands and teeth. Crazy. And so it's like, man, that's wild. So was, he was fighting the werewolf in the same way the werewolf is fighting. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. you don't think of this beautiful elf fighting with his teeth. But anyways, he was he was wounded to the death through this process. He was He was able to defeat the wolf, but he was wounded to the death. So he fulfilled his own oath to, to mm-hmm. bear here, um, Baron's father. And the way I love the way he what he says to Baron as he dies, he it's just very beautifully written. As Tolkien says, from the uh, point of view of Felagund, he says, "I go now to my long rest in the timeless halls beyond the seas and mountains of Amman. It will be long ere I am seen among the Noldor again, and it may be that we shall not meet a second time in death or life, for our kindred, the fates of our kindreds are apart. Farewell." So that's him basically saying, when I die, I get to go to the halls of Mandos and I may come back among the Noldor. My spirit may be, you know, kept in uh, Valinor. Like I have a second chance at life, but you, Baron, being a man, you don't, you don't get that. So he's like, we right. probably will never see each other again, um, which kind of brings even more weight to the fact that Baron and Luthien are, you know, of different races, yet they're trying to, to, get married and be together. Sure. Um, That's a good point. 
So with the passing of Fenrod, he was described as the fairest and most beloved of the house of Fenway. Um, so if you remember from a few episodes ago, Fenway was the father of Feanor, and he had a couple of sons. Fenor Fen was uh, the half-brother of, of Feanor, who was Feligan's dad. And kind of another interesting thing is uh, Fenor, uh, Fenrod Feligan is actually uh, Gladriel's brother. Yeah. So that kind of puts into perspective just how long uh, Gladriel, you know, how old she is, how long she's been on this. And so when you see her in the third age, you know, so many thousands of years later, she's, she's seen it all at that point. Yeah. Yeah. She's gone um, through some, some stuff. <laughs> she definitely has. Uh, and then just another fun aside is that the tower of tall and Gowroth uh, was actually constructed by Fenrod Felagund and it was called Minas Tirith initially, which might sound familiar because that's also what Minas Tirith is called in the third age. It's the, the city of Gondor, uh, where the battle of the Pelennor fields takes place. Um, yep. Yep. So that's kind of interesting. Uh, he had, er, he had originally constructed the tower and then he handed it over to his brother Oradreth to, uh, to kind of watch over it as he reigned in Nargothrond, um, which unfortunately Sauron pushed out Oradreth. He didn't have any, he didn't have the ability to withstand him. Um, so it's just kind of interesting that he dies in a place that he built thousands, maybe not thousands. I don't know the timelines exactly, but he built yeah. this a long time prior. Yeah. Um, so anyways, moving along here after, after Fenrod dies, it's just Baron. He's the only one in the, in the pit left. He's stricken to the heart with the loss of um, his friend and the grief that over that just overwhelms him. And when he was laying in the pit, Luthien actually became uh, weighty and dark. And she went to Melian, who's her mom, uh, for counsel. And this is this is right when they got captured initially. So you're kind of going back in time just a little bit. Yeah. And assuming that nobody would help, she planned to leave Doriath and actually uh, come to the aid of Baron. Um, and she told her plans to that minstrel that we mentioned last episode at Darion or Darion or however you say it. Um, and he again was super jealous of Baron and ousted her to King Thingol. Um, yeah, I don't know why she she would consult him again, even though he already betrayed her once. Like I can she, only imagine that he was friend zoned and in being in a friend zone <laughs> somehow gathered the trust of her. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's pretty low, dude. That's pretty low. It really is. Um but he he outs her to her father and Thingle, you know, being the fantastic father that he is and just wanting to keep his daughter safe, actually right. builds a giant tree house and locks her up there kind of like Rapunzel. <laughs> this guy's nuts. Yeah, he's a little, little overbearing, I would say. In doing so, he just captures her and basically makes her a prisoner. And yeah. so it's actually pretty interesting. She grows her hair out nice and long, kind of like Rapunzel. Mm -hmm. um and she sings songs of sleeping to her guards and she somehow lowers herself down she so i don't know how she uses that elf magic to grow her hair out but um it worked pretty well so she used the remaining strands of her hair to lower herself down and as the guards fell asleep she cast her hair around her um like a robe of invisibility basically yeah. and ran off in in pursuit of baron 
Yeah, and and so Luthien runs off and she's trying to find Baron, and she she wanders through the night, ends up sleeping, falling falling asleep under the shadow of some trees, and she's found out by none other than the Hound Huon, who might be my favorite character in all of Tolkien fantasy. I don't know about that, but he's he's up there. He's definitely Um, up there. He's so cool. Uh, But nothing could escape the sight and the scent of Huon the Hound. Uh, so to give a little backstory of Huan, Huan was given by the Vala, Orome, the mighty warrior who delighted in hunting, if you remember from our previous episodes, to his friend uh, Kelegorm, one of the sons of Fëanor. And he, Huan, accompanied them in the huntings that they did in the regions of Valinor. And so when the Noldor under Fëanor rebelled, when they decided to leave and rebel, Huan went with his master to Middle-earth. And it was decreed that he should meet his death... I don't know who decreed this. I don't know if it was Mandos or, or what, but he had this oath, or not an oath, but like a, a, a premonition about Huan that people knew that he was to meet his death, but not until he encountered the mightiest wolf that ever walked the world. Yeah, yeah. Huan is just a fascinating character, um, and we'll get into a lot of the stuff with him here shortly, but it is interesting how there's kind of that, like you said, that premonition of he's... He will die, but only when he meets the mightiest wolf ever. Um, yeah. And so that, that comes into play a couple of times throughout this story. Yes. Um, so basically, Huan was with Kelegorm and Karufin while they were huntri- hunting. And as he smelled Luthien, he brought the maid. So he brought Luthien before Kelegorm. Um, and Kelegorm and Karufin knew who she was, her, you know... Luthien's, you know, beauty and everything kind of precedes her. They know who she is. And they also yeah. knew about the the, you know, the quest that Baron and uh and Feligund were on. So they knew about this. And instead, they didn't reveal to Luthien that they knew about that. So they were just like, "Oh, wow. What are you doing out here?" just kind of playing dumb about the whole situation. Um and they took her to uh back to Nargothrond. Uh in a way kind of uh as a prisoner uh but basically their whole plan was okay felagund is gone he might be dead we don't know but now we have luthien and if we can usurp the power of nargothron then we can you know combine forces with thingle because we have melian and maybe one of us can marry her and create a you know um an alliance uh with with thingle and and melian over in doriath uh so as they do this, they take her prisoner and um, they basically lock her up as they're trying to work these schemes. And Huan is, he he sympathized with the plight of Luthien and felt pity for her. And he was yeah. able to actually um, understand the languages of all things that spoke. So he was only permitted to speak three times and this being one of them here in a second, but he could understand the birds, the beasts, people he could under anything that spoke, he could actually understand them. So Melian, I just kind of picture, you know, she's hanging out in prison and there's this massive, or yeah, sorry. Luthien is hanging out in prison and there's this massive wolfhound just hanging outside the door and she's just spilling her heart out. And, you know, I love Baron and so much. He's done all these things against Morgoth. He's the friends of all the beasts and birds. He's such a great guy. And Huan begins to actually love Baron, even though he hasn't met him yet, just based off of the descriptions that Luthien has given him. And so it was actually 
permitted for Huan to speak to Luthien, and he gives her the secrets of, hey, here's how we can escape and get you out of here so that you can go after Baron and try to save him from Sauron. Um, and so that was the first of the three times that he was permitted to speak. You think he was permitted to speak by like Orme? Like who? Who? Like how do you? Who decides when he gets to speak? And I mean, I, I again, I find Huan so fascinating. We don't have that much information on him, but like, I mean, who who created Huan? Uh, I think Orme probably created him because he he used to go hunting with him, right? So yeah, kind of like you know, back in the day, they would have. Um, hounds that would hunt with royalty. I assume that that's sure. kind of what it was, just on another level back in Valinor. So, I maybe it's Orome, like you said, that permits him to speak. Maybe it's just the powers that be, and they don't mm. really. I mean, Tolkien never really describes it, but yeah, yeah, it, it, that's an interesting thought. Is it who's working on behalf of Baron and Luthien that's letting right. Huon speak? You know, that's a good question. Yeah. I don't know. Well, I love the next portion because Huan, like he speaks to her, he says, hey, here's a way to get out of here. Let's, I'm, even though, you know, Kelegorm is my master, I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to stay with him. I'm actually going to help you escape and I'm going to take you to Baron. And so he actually humbles himself. He swallows his pride, as Tolkien says in a way, and lets Luthien ride him. Um, so they ride together uh, through the night to Talangaroth and confront Sauron to save Baron. And once they reached the tower, Sauron was obviously aware of the two coming, and he kind of sits up in his tower, and he's like, okay, I'll just take care of these guys with my werewolves. He's got an army of werewolves, and he well, sends them out. He was aware of Luthien coming, because Luthien, right, began, right. she got to the bridge and sang, but he, at this point, didn't know sure. about Huon being there. Right, yeah, thank you. Yeah, so he knows of Luthien, but, but he's like, yeah, I'll just send a werewolf to take care of her, no big deal. One werewolf doesn't come back. You know, he probably hears the screams of the werewolf dying. And so he sends another one. Huan kills that one. He sends another one, another one. And, and, and over time, he's like, okay, there's, there's something going on here. And, and finally, he, he picks his biggest, baddest werewolf, Dragluin. And he's like, dude, just go finish this girl off. Like, there's, there's no reason why she should still be alive. So he sends off his biggest, baddest werewolf. And, and Huan pretty much almost kills Dragluin. Like the fight was intense. Like you could hear them roaring. It was crazy. But he he pretty much like gets Dragluin to the point where he's crawling back to Sauron. He crawls back to Sauron to the feet of Sauron, and he shouts, "Huan is here!" Now Sauron knew, like everybody else, the fate of Huan that he was going to die, but not until he faces the most powerful werewolf that ever walked the earth. That was a premonition. Sauron's a shapeshifter, so he's like, hey, maybe I could be that mightiest, powerfulest werewolf that has ever walked the earth. So he conjures himself up, which, again, I'd love to see this on film. Like, this would be so cool to see Sauron just strip himself into a, into a big, bad werewolf and go out and fight Huan, because um, that's what he does. He's like, I, I can be that biggest, baddest werewolf, and he goes out and he, he fights Huan, and their, their battle was so fierce that it was heard from afar and everyone who heard it was dismayed like oh my gosh what is happening right now this sounds horrible you know tolkien says the horrors of this fight just just went far and wide but at long last huan ends up catching sauron by the throat and pretty much gets him to submit he's like okay i'm about to like bite your head off and send your body formless back to where it, you know either to the void or the halls of mandos or you know whatever wherever the powers that be decide to do with sauron and Luthien needs to know where Baron is, so she says, hey, hey, stop, stop, like, 
like Sauron, like you better yield to me and to Huon right now so that I can find my love, so I can find Baron. So Sauron does, he yields to them. Um, but this was after he like he tried to get out of he he, he tried to shapeshift into all these different creatures. Like he even shaped it, shifted into a serpent at one point, then back to his regular body. But Huon just still had him in the clutches he had of his him jaws. In the clutches, yeah, yeah, and so he wouldn't let him wouldn't let him go. And again, like the first time I read this, I was like, bro, you could have saved Middle Earth just just by biting down a little bit harder. <laughs> like we wouldn't have any issues. Frodo and Sam would have been fine. You know, Bilbo wouldn't have gone on his quest. I mean, all these things. We wouldn't have had a story, I guess. But at the same time, it's like, <laughs> you know, it, it just goes to show, like, one small decision causes such a big ripple effect uh, throughout the rest of the time. But anyway, so he, he does yield, and he gives out, like, kind of the power of the fortress to Luthien is pretty much what happens. And then, so Luthien just, get, like, says, all right, Huan, like, let him go. And he starts releasing his his jaws, and then Sauron turns into a vampire, which, again vampires in middle earth what like i again the first time i read this I was like i didn't know there was werewolves i didn't know there was vampires like this is insane he turns into a vampire and he flies away fleeing from huan like the coward that he is just blood dripping from his yeah. neck it was pretty gruesome um i think so he, i think it, good i think it's also important to um kind of backtrack for a half second here as well um so drow gluen the wolf that he sent that sauron sent finally like all right you just go take care of him Draugluin was actually um, described as a dreaded beast, old and evil, lord and sire of the werewolves of Angband. So mm. he basically is like the father of all werewolves that Morgoth created. So this wasn't just like some other werewolf that, eh, whatever, we'll toss another one out there. Like this is right before Sauron goes out himself, he sends up until this point the biggest, baddest werewolf yeah. to walk the earth. So. Yeah. Draugluin is that, and then Sauron goes, okay, well, he took care of Draugluin, so clearly that prophecy isn't quite right, because Draugluin's not the biggest, baddest one. Maybe I can be the biggest, baddest one. Mm -hmm. And then Huon again defeats Sauron, so it's still like, well, there's, there's, there's something, still else, still out there. something else out there, right? Yeah, we'll, we'll meet that something else probably, hopefully, next episode. We'll see. <laughs> but yeah, so it was, it was pretty intense, and again, Huon's just, he's the goodest of boys there is the most loyal dog in the world and obviously the most like intense and best fighter dog in the world. But anyway, <laughs> so, so Sauron leaves, gives him pretty much the power of the tower and Luthien using her power, her song breaks down the stone and threw down the gates of this, uh, this tower and then laid bare the pits. So she kind of just exposed everything and kind of, I kind of think like the Hobbit movies when Gandalf is going through, um, Oh gosh, what's that? What's that place where he encounters Sauron in the in the Hobbit movies? Oh, Dol um, Guldur. Dol Yes, yeah, yeah. When he's kind of going there through there, and he's like pretty much trying to reveal oh, the, the okay, evil. Okay, yeah, like that's kind of how yeah. I think. That's kind of how I think that Luthien is is doing no, this that's, here. So. That's a good parallel. I I didn't even think of it, but yeah, when she laid bare, she was probably breaking all of Sauron's magic of you know keeping things disguised and hidden and mm -hmm. everything. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, so yeah, she she ends up finding uh, Baron. She finds Baron, and she goes up to him, and Baron is huddled over the body of Fenrod Felagond, and because Baron is weeping so bitterly at the loss of his friend, he looks dead. Like, his soul is just crushed, and he just looks as good as dead. And so that's what Luthien thought. She thought he was dead. So she goes up to him, and she just gives him a hug and kind of embraces him. And, and, and in her own anguish, like, just the... I don't know if it was just like the 
the love that she gave to Baron through that physical touch, but Baron just kind of like wakes up, realizes, oh my gosh, is this Luthien? Like he wakes up, realizes it's Luthien. Luthien, again, thinking he's dead, has kind of gone into her own sorrowness, like unconsciousness. So then he ends up picking her up. They lock eyes and they're like, oh my gosh, like it's, it's my love. What up? How you doing? <laughs> kind of a, yeah, kind of a snaps them out of it. Yeah, they just like through all the evil, through all the grief, through all the sorrow, all they had to do was lock eyes and just kind of get back to it. You know, they, they came back to their senses. Yeah. And so then they together ended up burying the body of King Finrod Felagund. Um, and they started their next phase of this journey, which is super exciting. And it's the storming of Angband and the showdown between Baron Luthien and Morgoth, which will be absolutely epic. But we have to wait till next episode. <laughs> yes, indeed. We got to wait till we can record. Um, and then there's also another uh, little showdown between Huon and uh, somebody else as well that uh, is pretty epic as well. So there's a lot of excitement, a lot of uh, cool things happening in the next episode. So make sure that you're, you're sticking around, uh, ready to listen. Hopefully we'll get that one recorded when Sam gets back from his next uh, outing. And yeah. it's, it's an exciting one. It is. It is. I'm so pumped for it. Uh, just reading this story again, I was reading it to Ariel last night and she ended up falling asleep, but <laughs> I was just reading it and I was like getting just so into it. Like I read aloud to her and even though I knew she was asleep, I just kept reading until probably like 1130. I think I started at like 10. I, I'm a slow reader, but it just like took me forever and I just realized, okay, I got to go to bed. But I just, I love the story <laughs> because it's one of those things I'm not as familiar with it, right? Like I can reread Lord of the Rings. I can reread The Hobbit. And it's amazing. I love it, but I'm so familiar with it. It's like, I kind of, I don't get bored with it, but I just like my mind wanders. Right. But with yeah. these, these stories in the Silmarillion, I'm just so enamored by them still. Cause I just, I haven't had the recency of them. I haven't, there's no film to them at all either. So I like, I'm using my own man imagination to create what these characters look like and their voices and all that kind of stuff rather than referring back to the films. So yeah, it's all whatever you create in your head. You don't have a reference point for, I mean, anytime we talk about Sauron, I think of him as the eye or as, you know, how you see him in the pre the prelude of the fellowship mm -hmm. where, you know, he's got the iron crown, kind of how Morgoth is described. Right. You know? Right. But when you're going through the story, you don't really have anything for Huon or Baron or Luthien, maybe some some drawings here or there, but there's nothing set in screen. Um, so yeah, it is kind of fun to just let your imagination wander with like, mm -hmm. how does Sauron look when he's a vampire and drink yeah. blood from his neck, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm loving this. I, I'm super excited for the next episode, but this leads us into our next section. Gondor calls for aid. Seth and I are busting open those doors in the house of Metaseld and we're calling for aid. Will you, Rohan, answer? So if you enjoyed the podcast, please light a beacon by sharing it with fellow friends and fans, but also don't forget to like, subscribe, and leave us a review. Good or bad, we'd just love to hear what your thoughts are on our podcast. Also, don't forget to send us your Tolkien story. We'd love to hear what you think of Tolkien, how you got into him, and what you like about him. Just something short and sweet, we'll, we'll share it on the podcast here. You can email me at weckpodcast at gmail.com, W-E-C at podcast at gmail.com. So until next time where we will continue the quest where Baron and Luthien comes to face their biggest challenge yet, we thank you again for joining us for some well-earned comforts. We bid you a very fond farewell. <laughs> <laughs>